our school, and you see there's a reminder about ODAC's help that's coming up quickly. Now, I told you last week that I was going to jinx the winter weather by saying we weren't going to have any, and I read several places today that uh, we're supposed to have some Monday and Tuesday, uh, which will be real fun since the kids are supposed to have ODAC's on Monday and Tuesday regionally, but it looks like it's not going to affect the beach, but it might affect here so we'll see how that goes. So now I guess we should pray that there's no winter weather. Some of you that were praying that there would be winter weather. Uh, but you see there, ODAC's help. Um, we're hosting the state competition there March 23rd, 24th, Thursday and Friday. Need a number of help in different ways. Um, we're set up throughout that week. We'll be doing a little bit of that on our work day um, on March the 18th. And then uh, you see the, there's cleanup. Uh, providing food for the judge's hospitality room. There's actually a sign-up sheet for that um, there at the back at the Welcome Center. We just ask people to bring, uh, whether there's different types of entrees or side dishes, drinks, that kind of thing, uh, because we not only feed all the kids and parents that day, we offer a hospitality room for judges who are volunteering to come and judge, and so we give them a place separate that they can go eat. It doesn't cost them anything, and then they can get in and out a little faster, and so we need some help. Um, with that as well. And you see, a couple weeks from tonight, as long as there's no winter weather, I don't think there will be, but two weeks from tonight, uh, we're going to be set, finishing some of our setup that afternoon. So some things we can't do until school day ends, around 3, 20, or so. And uh, so we will be doing some things all that Wednesday afternoon up until church time. And if you get off work and can come straight here, or if you can come that day and help a little bit, uh, with setup, we'll be putting out some final things and tables and chairs and uh, cleaning the last few things and uh, putting away some things, a number of uh, jobs that will need to be done. Uh, we're going to do that, work up till around 6 o'clock or 6.30 or so. Uh, but anybody that comes and can help that night, because we know it's a little hard to come and get dinner at the same time, we'll have a spaghetti dinner that night for anybody that can uh, come help that evening. And the dinner portion will serve from 6 to 6.40, just so you can kind of be aware of uh, when you can come and help and all that. So anytime really that day, we'll have a number of things for you to do, but particularly after school until church that evening, uh, two weeks from tonight. We'll take any help that we can get. I'm sure the staff will appreciate it as well. All right, let's open with a word of prayer tonight and then uh, beginning a new study that will probably take us four or five weeks or so. And uh, we're excited to look at God's Word tonight. Lord, we <clears throat> come to you and we ask you to uh, work in us and through us. Um, in a, uh, the, our, our world needs you. Uh, the people of this world that you created in your image for the purpose of your glory and your praise. People need to see you. People need to hear of you and uh, there are people in our, our community and in our lives and around our world that we can impact in one way or another for the gospel. And so tonight we pray that you'd help focus our hearts. Many of us have things going on right now in our, in our families, at, at work, um, in our daily lives, in our interests, and in our activities that uh, are, can be all-consuming in a way. Uh, but Lord, we ask you not to... Let us be distracted from the purpose, the reason that you've left us here on this earth to, to glorify you. And one of the ways that we do that is by sharing you with others. And so tonight we ask that you'd help our hearts to be focused on you, uh, that we'd be focused on our relationship with you as we begin studying some about prayer the next few weeks, that uh, you would realign and refocus our attitudes and our desires our, our, um, for your design, for how we communicate and speak to you and, um, and uh, worship you in that way. And so we pray that you teach us tonight and guide us. Be with those of our church that need physical help in an evident way tonight, uh, that you'd bless them and lift them up, that you'd help them to know that they are loved and cherished by, of course, by you and their relationship with you, but also by those that they call their brothers and sisters and uh, those that you have saved, redeemed in our church that we'd be an encouragement to others and to those that have physical needs this evening in our church. May we be an encouragement to them by our prayers and then by our lives and efforts. Pray that as we sing, we worship you, uh, that you'd help us to 
enjoy the opportunity that we have to declare your glory and name your praise. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And turn, if you would, in your Bible to the book of Ephesians tonight to begin. Ephesians chapter 1 is where we will begin. And we'll be in a number of places in this evening's message. Ephesians chapter number 1, if you have it, your place there, you can also find your notes and uh, jot some things down as the Lord teaches you tonight as well. If you would, Ephesians chapter number 1. You see there on the title of our message, sort of the theme for the next few weeks, is going to be having a heart of prayer. Not just how to pray or not just praying or even that we should pray. Those are not the focus of the topic, but rather how do we have a heart of prayer? Prayer at its very core is speaking to God. It is communicating with God. And if my heart is in tune with the Lord, if my heart is seeking the Lord, then I will speak to the Lord uh, because I love Him, because I want to speak to Him, because I want Him to speak to me, and I'll follow Him in prayer. And so we're going to look the next weeks, not just scholastically or even just intelligently trying to figure out what prayer is and the mode of prayer or maybe even a method of prayer, but a little deeper than that, how do we have a heart to pray? What does that look like in our lives? Instead of studying book by book or verse by verse for the next few weeks in, on Wednesday nights, there's mainly two passages that we're going to be looking at together on prayer. And I want you to notice the first one of those is in Ephesians chapter number 1. Look, if you would, in verse number 15. Ephesians 1, verse 15, Paul speaking to this church that he's trying to help. It says in verse 15, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints. So he says, When I heard about you and how the Lord was growing in your life and what he was doing in your life, how did Paul respond? How did Paul respond to the good work of God? Not just in his own life, but in the life of others. Verse 16, what did he do? He says, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. What did he pray? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know, know him, excuse me, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. So he gives this description of Christ, and he says, I've been praying, since I heard that God worked in your life, I've been praying that he would continue to work. And he prayed specifically how. Maybe a page over for you, Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3 as well, verse number 12. Ephesians 3, verse number 12 says, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. It's saying by Christ, we have boldness, we have access to what? To the Lord, to God. Verse 13, Wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is he saying there? He's saying, I'm praying. Verse 15, Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his, by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power 
that worketh in us. Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Let's pray that He would teach us to pray and to have a heart of prayer. Lord, You are good and holy. You are far above and beyond us because of our sin. We cannot have uh, a direct face-to-face fellowship with you while we're here on this earth and in these bodies without the finishing of our sanctification, without standing in your presence here on this earth. There is a limit to um, the physical nature of our relationship with you. But we praise you that you have given us spiritual access, that you have given us in our hearts, our souls, our spirits, and our minds, the ability to approach your throne, the ability to come and acknowledge your presence in our lives, the ability to speak to you. Not only have you given us that ability and that right, but you have asked us, you have commanded us, and you've expressed to us that it's your desire. You want to hear from us. And so, Lord, we ask you to forgive us for failing to come before you, to forgive us uh, for failing to pray. We ask that you would forgive us for taking for granted and for ignoring the opportunity that you have given us by your Spirit, that as children of God, we can speak to you as our Father. And yet we struggle because... We live in a physical world that is apart from your visible presence. And so we ask tonight, Lord, that by your strength and by your power, that you teach us tonight and in the weeks to come, that we can still stand before you. We do not have to wait to enjoy the relationship that you designed for us. And may our hearts be held to you. And may we be committed to have hearts of prayer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You see there, for the next couple weeks, we're going to be in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3. And I don't know if you mark in your Bible, but if you do, in Ephesians 1, verse 15, down through verse number 23, uh, you could just put a little line by verse 15 and a little line by verse 23, and you can kind of see the length of that portion. So 15 down through verse 23, and then... If you go to Ephesians chapter 3 and you go to verse number 12 and you mark a little line beside that or a little bracket that goes down to verse number 21 and it shows you that portion. And if you were to look at these, if you were to highlight them or mark the length, Ephesians itself is not a very long letter. When you take into account that most of the first 8 to, depending on how you look at it, the first 8 to 13 verses or so, our introduction and Paul explaining and giving his introduction to the people of Ephesus. The last few verses of the chapter are kind of his concluding remarks. And so if you look at the length of the book, and then you look at the size of these two passages or portions of Scripture in which he is telling them how he prays for them, it makes up a significant portion of the book. I haven't done the math to figure out the exact percentage of words of the book of Ephesus are used here, but it's a pretty good chunk of his book, a, a, a short book that is packed doctrinally. He is teaches one of the most doctrinal, if you would look at it that way, books in all of the New Testament in terms of just one thought right after the next about our position, our place in Christ and our relationship to God, and yet he uses such a significant portion of it to tell them This is how I am praying for you. Now, I'm sure that if Paul knows or knew the request of the people at Ephesus, if he knew their individual physical needs, he probably carried those and prayed for those as well. Similar to, as we saw in 3 John last week, as John is writing Gaius, and he says, I can just hope that your physical life is as blessed as your spiritual life, that you are as in good health physically as you are spiritually. And so there is a praying for physical need and physical help and physical health that the apostles show, and that I think even Jesus sort of exemplifies for us in the Lord's Prayer and other places where he prays in the gospel. But notice how Paul is speaking to the people at Ephesus and how he prays for them. The thrust of his prayer for these people that he loved 
and for the people that he wanted God to use and that he wanted to see a church established there. He wanted to see their growth spiritually. How did he pray for them? Well, looking back at the two portions that we just read, it says in verse number 17, he says, what am I praying? That he may give you, give unto you spirit of wisdom, that he give you revelation, that he give you knowledge, that he open the eyes of your understanding so that you would see Jesus, the riches of his glory, the exceeding greatness of his power. And then in uh, chapter 3, the end of that portion of chapter 3 that we read a moment ago, he says, for this cause I bow my knees. And what did he pray? For this family of Christ, that he would grant you the riches of his glory, strengthened with his might, notice, in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend the knowledge, to know the love of God, that you be filled with His Spirit and that you would know Him. So Paul writes, and I'm sure it's an assuring thing for the people at Ephesus or for anyone, any Christian, to know that another Christian is praying over them or praying for them. But notice his emphasis. He prays so deeply for their spiritual needs, and for their spiritual growth. I want you to notice that right off the bat tonight, that Paul did not just pray about their physical things and their physical needs. And I think that we know that we're supposed to do that, but I think that we struggle with that quite often, praying over spiritual things. Prayer is a spiritual habit. It's a spiritual discipline. And yet often we make it such an unspiritual thing. And I don't mean unspiritual in the sense that God's ignoring our prayers and we're not praying for real, but in the sense that we do not often pray over our spiritual lives and the lives of those around us. I would wonder tonight, as you think about your own prayers, have our prayers for our spouse sounded like Paul's prayers for these people? Have you prayed that your husband or that your wife would have be granted all knowledge and wisdom and power and strength and the understanding and the knowing of the love of Christ? Have you prayed that they'd be rooted and grounded in Jesus' love? Or, or have we prayed, and they're important, but have we prayed for their health and uh, their feeling sick or their job? All those things are important. But the emphasis of our life or what our hearts are prioritizing is often revealed by how we pray. Have you prayed for your spouse like you see this prayer, these prayers in Ephesians. Have you prayed for your kids in this way? Have we prayed for our parents, for our friends, for our loved ones? Have you prayed for your other church members? Those that you sit across from each week, those that you shake their hand and say hello or have a meal with from time to time. Maybe some of you are their deep friends and relationships and connections. I think sometimes one of the reasons that we struggle with relationships, even within a church body or within a church setting is because we know people on a physical level, we know people on a relational level, but we do not understand or know and therefore pray for people on a spiritual level. And so you have here Paul praying and it's, it's fairly rebuking. You say, well, he's the apostle Paul. He was just a human like you and I, used of God, yes, Surrendered to God holy, yes, but no more and no less a human than any of us. And so his example here is a great one. And notice, again, he says, when I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, here is how I proceeded to pray for you. And I want you, over the next few weeks, as you have time and as you think about it, write it down, maybe set a reminder in your clock, because we're going to be in these um, passages the next few weeks. Just set a time and read them maybe once a day, every couple days. Let them sink into your heart and life and these words, do I pray like this? And I don't mean, do you pray with the same eloquent wording? It may feel eloquent to us. It's a fairly simple prayer, actually. And I don't mean, do you pray with the same eloquent wording? Do you, do you pray in such an organized manner? Do, are we praying to our God that is God over all things, including every aspect of our life, the spiritual, do we pray in a deeper way? And so notice there in your notes, it says that though prayer is a core action of the Christian life, we know we should pray. We all want to pray, and we probably desire to pray in bigger ways, better ways, more faithful ways. 
What is it that holds us back in prayer? It seems like we could have a, a sermon on prayer every few weeks or every few months. And I, I say this even of myself personally. And when we get to that point, we would all admit that there's something about, and we call it, I use this term loosely, we call it our prayer life as though it's different. I think that's part of our struggle is that we separate it out. It's different than our work life, our home life. Our prayer life is over here. No, our prayer life is to be our life, to live a life of prayer, constant, unceasing. And so sometimes we feel that the way that we pray, it's stagnant. See if any of these words could describe you at the moment as they could myself. Stagnant, ineffective sometimes. Frustrated or frustrating in, in prayer, monotonous, unanswered. So we often view prayer as something that we do, and we try to check it off our list. You see, there are spiritual disciplines. We think that God's actions might somehow be based on our ability to pray well, to pray much, or to pray often. We, don't, we would never say that out loud, but there's certain ways that we, we think of certain people as their prayer words. It seems that God listens to them when they pray, that it changes, and that God works and moves, and we want that to be ourselves. And sometimes we view our prayer life that way, like, if I could just pray better, if I could just pray more, if I could just mean it better, if I could just pray in a way that God understands it's, it's like my real heart, if I could be spiritual enough that my prayers would be important to God and it would move him to change as though God is going to rule the universe based on how eloquently I am able to pray or that God's going to change the way that he rules in history and in life based on my standing before him. That's not how that works. He does listen and he does answer the prayers of his people, but it's not based on their length. It's not based on, even in a way, their frequency. It's not based on how eloquent they are or that I'm better or worse of a prayer than someone else. And so we need to address not our prayers in the words as often as our hearts. We need to see prayer more clearly in a more scripturally based way. And so let's look, if we would, tonight at this thought or this idea. I was looking up, well, what is prayer? I came across one definition. It wasn't necessarily a Christian definition. It was just, I think it might have been Wikipedia or something, some very scholarly source. But it said, um, it, it, prayer is an invocation or an act that seeks the report of an object of worship. And at first I thought, oh, that's an awful definition of prayer. That's horrible. But then the more I thought about it, I thought about how we apply it. In actuality, they may be identifying a problem sometimes with our prayer. As a culture and as a society, sometimes we, we do feel like it's seeking report with God. But you think about some people that pray, well, I pray in a different way. Some people consider meditation and, and kind of a moment of quiet the same as prayer. Well, in actuality, they are seeking report with what they worship. It might just be ourselves and not our God. I'm trying to get a mind of peace. I'm trying to feel better. And so when I pray, I pray in a way that tries to give me more peace. I pray in a way that tries to make me feel better. I pray in a way that tries to encourage myself rather than speaking to the one that I'm supposed to be worshiping. And so it's not actually a terrible idea if it's applied properly. But prayer, by its essence, is the primary way by which believers in Christ communicate their emotions or their desires to God in an act of fellowship and in an act of worship. See, there are a couple of quotes that we put. Our conversations with others reveal often what is in our minds. You talk about what you think about quite often. You talk about what you have in relation to people. You're around our staff or some of our students in the school. ODAX is kind of the thing, this fine arts competition. You talk to them now, and that's what they're going to talk about because it's what's in their head. It's what's in their mind. Some people, they talk about it's a big sports thing, you know, in the next few weeks. Some talk about it's a big project in, at work or what I've watched on the news. Our conversation with others reveals what's in our mind. Our conversations with God reveal what's in our hearts. And so if you think about for a moment, what do your prayers sound like? What do you talk to God about most often? 
And if what we say to others reveals what's in our minds, what we say to God reveals what's in our hearts. I came across this quote, the Robert Murray McShane. He says, what a man is on his knees before God, he is that, or that he is, and nothing more. And so you think about what you are spiritually. Sometimes we think that this is just the weaker part of our spiritual life. But in truth, we've been commanded to pray, and God implores us to pray. It is something that he has given to us. Prayer reveals our priority. Whether we pray or not reveals our priority. What we pray reveals our priorities. When we pray, if it's easy, we, it's easy to remember before meals and maybe before bed or certain habits in our life, we pray at a certain time. But in reality, God calls us again to pray throughout the day, to have a conversation with the Lord at all times. doesn't mean that every one of our words is a prayer, but it means that our spirit is constantly going to Him. Prayer is a struggle for many of us. So let's ask ourselves these questions as we start this study for the next few weeks. How much is prayer a part of your life? Just think about that for a moment. How much of your day? And, and again, I'm not equating this to a, an amount of time, though it, sh it, it can be evidenced that way. But how often do you think about prayer? Like I say, how much is prayer a part of your life? I'm not saying how many minutes a day do you spend praying. But I could mean by that, how, how quickly do you think about it? When there's something good that's brought into your life. When your child seems to learn or grasp a concept. When your grandchild seems to grow or have a, a blessing or there's an answer in that way. Is your heart and mind immediately prone to pray? When there's a struggle and a moment of anxiety and doubt and stress and difficulty, is your mind inclined to pray? How much is prayer a part of your life? What's your typical spirit or attitude when you pray? You know, sometimes we go to the Lord, it's like we only go to Him like somebody would go make a complaint at HR at work. You sit down and, oh, i got to tell you something that happened today that went wrong. And uh, i got to report this to you, Lord. And here's how it is bad. And um, I'd like you to make it good. Like, like that's kind of how we enter sometimes into his presence about our lives. What's your spirit, your attitude? Does your prayer feel relational or does it feel religious? Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever been to a, a Catholic ceremony of, of any kind or some sort of Eastern Orthodox type of thing or, or you may have been uh, a part of some been around or heard uh, Islamic prayer service or uh, different different forms of other religions. There's a difference, isn't there, between a prayer that is relational and a prayer that is religious, a prayer that is repeated, a prayer that is just said. Now, there can be a formed prayer that is said in a relational way that you can mean before your God, but he calls us first to be relational in how we speak to him. How big are your prayers? How confident are they? You ask God to work in marvelous ways, to do things spiritually in your own life, in your church, and in the lives of those around you. So ask yourself this question. You can jot it down, kind of have a little empty space there before you get to number two. We can speak to God. We're going to address that in a moment. In fact, go ahead and turn in your Bible to Galatians, do a book over. Look at Galatians chapter 4. And it's going to tell us why we can speak to God. But I want you to just write it in bold print if you have to. We can speak to God. We can talk to Him. And He doesn't just hear it as noise. And He doesn't just hear it as, you know, in, in the audience, you know, the, have you ever been to a, a show or, or, or some sort of uh, production of some kind and, and somebody will call for the crowd to clap or give noise. It's like, oh, you know, I can't hear you. Give me more noise. They can't tell what anyone is saying. They just hear the noise. But God doesn't hear us like that. Have you ever been, uh, in Tennessee, we used to, we've been to this, I'm sure you've all been to the tourist trap that is Gatlinburg or Pigeon Forge, you know, those number of places and are there, and there's a little comedy barn that's there, and then, you know, these different shows, and there's always that person that comes out at the beginning that's, that's there to just pump you up and just, just there to hear you and get you to cheer and get you set for the rest of it. And they're calling on you to cheer. Well, I, I like to have fun in those moments and just 
yell nonsense. Like they're like, let's hear it. And you're a moron. You know, you're calling it out. And he's like, yes, you guys are so great. And he doesn't know that I'm like telling him Kentucky's my favorite team. You know, I'm just saying all the most random stuff. But it's just noise. He can't hear, whoever that is, they can't differentiate. They just hear noise. Yet God somehow in his infinite wisdom and ability does not hear millions of prayers coming up from earth as noise in a crowd. He hears your prayer individually. He hears your prayer. He hears the words of your prayer. He hears the heart and the spirit of your prayer. So you can put it in all caps. God, we, we can speak to God. Now, beside it, put the question, do we? And I'm not asking you, do you pray for meals? Do you pray at bed? Do you have a time each day where you say words to God? Do you actually concentratedly speak to God, expecting Him to hear? Prayer begins, notice, who are we speaking to? In Ephesians, we won't read it again for time's sake tonight, but in Ephesians chapter 1, the prayer we read a moment ago, he says, I go by the Lord Jesus Christ, by, to the Father, by the Son. He says it in both places, in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3. You know, prayer is not reserved for the special Christian. It's for all Christians. So how do you know that? Look at Galatians chapter 4. It's not based on our actions that God hears us, but in our position in Him. Galatians chapter 4, look at verse number 4. And if on the middle of the week, Wednesday night, work has been long, things have been rough, been family, whatever it may be, be encouraged by this tonight. Let it excite your heart, your mind, your soul. Galatians chapter 4, look at verse 4. But when the fullness of time was come, at the point in time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. So he's saying the implication is that God sent himself in human form. Why? Verse 5. To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So clarify it there. You kind of summarize it in some different statements, but look at the summary of verses 4 and verse 5. God sent his son to make us his sons. Like that, that is magnificent, isn't it? It says those that were under the law, meaning bound and captive by our sins because we can't keep the law. We've broken it. We are forever in judgment under it unless something happens. Well, something happened. God said, I'm going to come keep the law that they cannot be punished under judgment for the sin and for the judgment that they cannot bear, I'm going to send my son to make all of them my children. What a magnificent truth. But he didn't finish there. He didn't just send his son and say, I'm going to send my son, save these people. They're just going to be thankful that when they die, they don't go to hell. Though that would be a magnificent gift, and though in itself it wouldn't just be enough, it would be more than enough. If God just said, I'll redeem you, we'll deal with the rest when you get here. That's not what he says. Notice, if you would, verse number six. And because you're sons, because you're my children, I'm going to treat you a certain way. So what did he do? Verse six. God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So God has sent his son to make us sons. And because we are his children, he sends us his spirit. And God's spirit establishes our relationship to him as our father. So it wasn't just enough that he says, I'm going to send my son. He says, I'm going to send my son to make you all sons. And you may not feel like you're my children because you can't see me. You can't go in and just walk into my room and sense and see the presence of God. And you're not even going to have my son on earth with you anymore. He's not going to physically be there. And even if he were, there would be a limitation on humankind. We can't all 8 billion people go, 8, 8 billion people go see Jesus at one time. So he says, my son's not going to be there. You're not going to see him. I'm not going to be there. You're not going to see me. But I'm going to send a spirit that dwells within you that cries out on behalf of the Father. And notice, isn't it interesting that Jesus, when he's praying to his Father in one of the most 
tormentous moments of his life and heading to the cross, what does he cry out? Abba, Father. It literally means dearest dad, dearest father. And so what the Galatians writer, what, what Paul is telling us here is God sent his son to make us sons. And because we are sons, he treats us this way. We may not feel that way all the time, but he has given us his spirit that dwells within us. God lives with us. And the God that lives with us cries out within himself, his spirit to the Father, Abba, Father. He establishes relationship within us, within our hearts. Notice verse 7. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. He says, God has given you access to himself, through himself, by himself. You did nothing to get the privilege of prayer, and yet you have it. Isn't that amazing? Notice, he goes further. Notice this quote. Prayer is a privilege because of God's power as being sovereign. Prayer is a mercy because of God's position as being judge. So it's amazing that we can pray to God. It's a privilege to be able to speak to the God that created the whole universe. It's a mercy to be able to speak to Him because we've sinned against Him. But it's a possibility, and it's effective because of our relationship to Him as our Father. And that's an amazing truth. It's a privilege to speak to God because He's King of the universe. It's a mercy to speak to God because we've committed treason and sinned against Him. But we can actually pray and be effective because He's made us His sons. He's made us His daughters. And so what are we saying in prayer? Notice the next. What is it that we're supposed to be saying? What does God hear or want to hear from us? Paul was humble. You can go back to Ephesians if you like. You can put your finger there and also find your place in Colossians. Or I'll, I'll read to you Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 and just a moment, but Paul was humble and he was bold. He was com committed, but he's also compassionate in his prayers. Notice the things. These are some of the things we're going to talk about in the next few weeks. Notice what he prayed for. Wisdom, revelation, focus, hope, spiritual riches, strength, power, growth, love. How many of those things were on our prayer list today? Hopefully most of them, but quite often we're distracted from these things. So before seeing what we are supposed to pray in the next few weeks, I want us to think about how we pray. Colossians chapter 4, verse number 2, says that we are supposed to come expectantly. Verse, Colossians 4, verse 2 says, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Meaning watch in prayer. Meaning be attentive. Be expecting the Father to listen. Our Father's made a promise. Do we believe it? And how do we believe it? Before we go on there, I'll put this up. I forgot to mention a moment ago. This is a, a pretty easy little acrostic that uh, some people do for prayer. It's a, it's a pretty good model. We should Our prayer should be acts is kind of the uh, thing there. It, it acts means adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Adoration is praise about who God is, His place in our life. Confession is asking for forgiveness and pleading for change, asking and repenting before Him and seeking His forgiveness because of our sin. Adoration is about who God is. Confession is about who we are. Thanksgiving is about how those two are connected. It's about who God is and the fact of who I am, and yet in spite of that, He connects with me. In spite of that, He speaks to me and I can speak to Him, and He has worked in my life and on my behalf. Supplication is going to God for the things that I still desire Him to do in my life and maybe sometimes in particular in the lives of others. Now, let me ask you, which one do we spend the most time on? The, the truth is, a lot of our prayer is supplication. It doesn't mean it's wrong. It doesn't mean it's sinful to do that. But I just want you to think about why that might be. I think sometimes we excuse ourselves. And we say, it's because my heart's so burdened. We have so much in our lives and it's looking forward. I think sometimes there's two reasons that we do this. It's what's on our mind and it's what we understand. It's what's in my mind because I'm thinking about what's going on in my life. And it's what I understand because I can only sense what I feel in this moment. I struggle to have adoration and talk to him about that a lot. I struggle to spend much time in prayer of adoration. Maybe it's because it's not what's on my mind. 
and I also don't understand it because I haven't spent time in his word because I don't know who he is. I don't spend a whole much of time in confession because I think I can just blanket it because it's not what's on my mind and I don't understand. It's not something I'm thinking about a lot and I don't understand how, deep sin, how deeply sin has affected my life because I haven't gone to his word. Thanksgiving, sometimes I don't spend as long in Thanksgiving because it's not what's on my mind and I do not understand how much I have to be thankful for beyond the things that I've received and that I have in my home. But when I read the scripture and I realize how much God has controlled all things around me and everything in history to work on his behalf, his glory, and the good of those that trust in him. And so sometimes we struggle with the first three because they're not on our mind and we're not going to God's word to understand them. And so I take mainly supplication because it's what's on my mind and it's the only thing that I understand. And so what should prayer be about? Notice, prayer is about dependence. Ephesians chapter 3 that we read a moment ago, verse 14, how he begins. He says, this is how and what I pray for you. And verse 14, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. His bowing of his knees, he's not saying we have to be on our knees to pray. It's not a bad thing. In fact, I think it's a good thing. It would have been different. Jewish men of Paul's day did not often kneel, but they often stood or stood in a proud posture, I get to speak to God in this way. And yet Paul says, I'm humbled because I know who and what I am. In verses 6 and 8 through 8 of chapter number 3, he talks about the fact that he is, verse 7, whereof I'm a minister of the gospel according to the grace of God. He found his place in grace of God. Notice, a self-assured person does not petition God because they don't think they need his help. A self-righteous person does not confess before God because they don't think they need his forgiveness. And yet a humble person who understands their need and of God's forgiveness and his help bows before him in dependence. You say, well, what about the pro proper posture of prayer? I wasn't, I wasn't sure if I had time. I'm going to read this to you because it's just fun. And I think some of you may need to smile on a Wednesday night. I'll read to you a, a, a prayer I came, or a poem I came across from the 1800s minister, I believe his name is Samuel Foss, and he, uh, he talks about the posture of prayer this way. The proper way for a man to pray, said Deacon Lemuel Keyes, and the only proper attitude is down upon your knees. No, I should say the way to pray, said Reverend Dr. Wise, is standing straight with outstretched arms and wrapped in upturned eyes. Oh, no, 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 said Elder Slow, such posture is too proud a man should pray with eyes fast closed and head contritely bowed. It seems to me his hand should be austerely clasped in front with both thumbs pointing toward the ground, said Reverend Dr. Blunt. Last year I fell in Hodgkin's well head first, said Cyrus Brown, with both my heels a-sticking up and my head a-pointing down. And a prayer I made right then and there, best prayer I ever said, the prayingest prayer I ever prayed was upside down on my head. Some of you are still alive. That's good. But I think the point of it is that prayer is about humility and dependence. Do we acknowledge our dependence on the Lord by how we pray? Jesus patterned this for us. And I think it's a good example. Jesus is the, gre the greatest teacher of all, right? He teaches in John chapter 14 through 16, the Olivet Discourse that became uh, very familiar, Jesus teaching right before he sets out for his week of passion with his, in front of his disciples to be crucified. And he finishes all of those teachings, three chapters of teaching, and this is what he does. Chapter John 17, verse 1, these words spake Jesus. He finished teaching. What did he do? He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy son, that thy son may also glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him, and that this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I won't read it all for time's sake tonight. Verse 9 says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but pray for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. He proceeds then to pray the whole of chapter 17. So Jesus, the greatest teacher in the world, turns in humility to his father after he finishes teaching and says, Lord, please help them. 
Please help them to grow in what I've taught. He's the greatest teacher, and yet he followed it up with prayer. He was on the greatest mission to change eternity for mankind, and yet he took time to pray. He's the Son of God, and yet he decided, excuse me, he displayed a need and a desire to pray. And so ask yourself, are you recognizing your dependence on God by prayer? And here's just a small personal test. Do you pray before and after you hear or read God's Word? For instance, we came in tonight. Did we enter thinking we're, we're going to go, we're going to sit, we're going to hear the Bible, and then we're going to spend some time praying, and that's it? Or did we enter tonight thinking, God, your word's about to open. That's how you talk to us. And we really need to learn. Because sin is a distraction, and my life has turned me away. Life tries to turn me away from you. So God, humble my mind as we open your word. What about in the mornings? You think about it, we teach our kids that when they come in, we, we pray before a meal, we thank someone for the meal. You take them to a guest house. What, what do you want them to do before the guest, or you're the guest? So what do we want them to do before they bring you food? We teach our kids, tell them thank you. And then no matter how it tastes or what it was, what do we teach them to do at the end? We tell them to tell them thank you. <laughs> what do we do when we open God's word? Do we speak and request and give thanks for it before and after? Do we show reliance on the Lord to establish his teaching in our hearts? I want to close with this, Philippians chapter 2, and we'll be done. Philippians chapter 2, if you can turn there. Philippians chapter 2. And we'll ask ourselves this as we close. Do you have a heart of prayer? Do you ask God to bless your work and your and, and life to contribute to his way, to empower your effects and your efforts and your the challenges of your life that you seek to do to be carried out for his will, to change your flaws and to forgive your sins? And then put in there, does your prayer taste like Philippians 2? 10 and 11. What do we mean? Philippians 2, look at verse 10. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know what the text says? It says, Jesus was humbled. He humbled himself, became obedient to the cross, died a death for us. Yet one day, every single knee, everything's going to bow before him and give him praise. Should we as Christians not have a head start on that? Should we not be doing that now? Or are we just going to wait till then? Here he is in Philippians saying, here is what he has done and why God the Father will exalt the Son. And yet we miss it. And we don't go and bow the knee before him and speak to him in prayer when we could and while he is listening. Prayer reminds us who we are who our Father is, and shows dependence on Him. The next few weeks we'll get into what that means and what it looks like. But I want you to notice on the back, if you would, tonight of your sheet, and take some time to do this. I wanted to give a little more time tonight to do it even here as a family, but we'll let you do this alone. And ask yourself these questions and fill them in. It's not They're not spiritual because they were written on the church bulletin, but I do think that they're rooted in some thoughts of Scripture. Assess your own personal prayer life. What does your private prayer tell us about yourself? What does it tell you about others or, or your faith in God to work in others? What are some of your prayer requests in the moment? And as you read God's word, how has it challenged you to pray in a different way? And hopefully we will see ourselves changed to pray more like Christ even in the weeks to come. That's going to help us. Father, thank you for your word. And grow us and teach us. Um, we come to you sometimes so quickly and we just say words. We spout stuff out and we spew things that we know to say. We become robotic because we don't understand that we can talk to you. We don't understand why we can talk to you. Because you sent your son to make us sons. And then you sent your spirit to help establish us as your children. You truly are the great, the mighty, and the wonderful. Every knee will bow before you. And may we start even now as Christians humbly before you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
I do want you to look tonight at your prayer section. We are going to spend some time in prayer as we close, four or five minutes here at the end, and uh, several prayer requests there. And so we will take these in supplication. But as you pray tonight there as couples, as families, or you slide over and sit and pray with a friend, next week we'll break up into groups, men and women again, like we did last week. But for tonight you can pray there as a couple, as a family. And I encourage you as you open your prayer, spend some time adoring the Lord for who he is. Asking for forgiveness even in the area of prayer in our lives. And then asking him to work on our behalf in our church. And we've had some families join recently, some others that may join. We've had some that are uh, listening to the gospel that need to trust Christ. And so I ask you to pray earnestly as a church family that those that sit here each week that need Jesus would move toward him. And that they'd come to trust in him. And see some of those mentioned there at the top um, as far as praying for our church ministry. See, there are a number of people that are going to be traveling this next week. Pat and uh, Barbara Adams, uh, Pat McKinney and Barbara Adams, traveling down to Florida for a few days. Mom and uh, Dan are in Texas for a few days. We've been sending them a number of pictures of what we think they'll look like when they return. Cowboy hats and boots and all the like. Uh, Seaglas are traveling a little while to Georgia down in Alabama. and Everybody's going south. I guess it's avoiding the winter weather but we have several traveling this week so if you would pray for them uh, for mercy and grace and then you see um, some others that have been there for a few weeks continue to pray for each of them uh, for Patricia Wilmoth was able to talk a little bit with her this week and her recovery's uh, beginning to progress going well and she's met with a therapist and uh, has a, a, a good bit left but we're thankful that everything's gone well so far then you see some add-ons uh, Kevin Hibbard's sister uh, with an upcoming surgery, and then continue to pray for Laurie Klima um, in her treatment of uh, her cancer diagnosis treatment and in her heart issues as well. And you see Dana Hickson's name there at the bottom. Um, some of you know uh, that Dana had uh, surgery um, a couple weeks ago, but then had some complications from that on Sunday and had to have emergency surgery to repair that, had a, a, a internal bleed and a number of things, very scary situation Sunday. Um, but we're thankful that the Lord worked on her behalf. And uh, you see there how we can pray for her in the next few days. She's not taking any visitors at this time. needs to kind of establish some things physically and, and begin to recover and stabilize. But if you would, continue to pray for uh, Dana as she recovers from that surgery as well. All right, let's spend uh, four or five minutes in prayer tonight, remembering to praise the Lord for who He is. And uh, pray for not just the physical needs of the people of our church, but also asking God to guide spiritually as well. And we'll be dis-